Well, thank you for choosing to worship with us today. We're starting a series on Philippians, a series that's going to last for a little while, a few months. And we want you to, to buy into this on two different levels. One is to attend at every opportunity you can in person. If not, catch up on, uh, on our website and uh, we'll go week one on. Today's the introduction of what we're going to be studying. And the second level of that will be the discussions that happen in our life group. So we want you to be a part of a life group and have regular life group attendance um, because there's only so much that we can talk about in here for a 30-minute sermon, 45 for others. Sermon. But anyway, um, it's our hope that we, we dive deeper into what Paul is trying to communicate to the church through this letter. And our prayer is that everyone hears something according to your need and not just information gathering. So it's more than just information gathering. It is specific to where God has you today. A lot's happening in our church, um, our construction. We're about two weeks away. Hope, wait, just crossing your fingers, is that bad? Um, we're about two weeks away from, from moving in. Um, it was, it was going to be August 1st, then it was like August the 9th, and then it was August the 16th. Or it, keep, it keeps moving. But um, as every construction project usually does. So you'd be praying about the closure of what we're trying to do for our children, our students, some classrooms that we, uh, are, we need terribly uh, for our small groups that are trying to meet on campus during the opportunities for our children, our students, and our preschool. So um, a lot's happening in our church, it, as well our parking lot. We, we, we desperately need parking. If you've been in the back, you've seen... Um, we, we need more parking, so apparently uh, some of our construction people have destroyed the parking lot, which makes it even more difficult now. Uh, you need full drive almost to go over all the uh, bumps and lumps all in the parking lot, and we'll, we'll get all that figured out and switched to uh, smooth, or at least more smooth, and uh, that's coming in the next month or so. So be praying specifically for this over here that we can hurry up and get moved in and capture some of the back-to-school um, opportunities. I love having all the young people down here down front. I don't know about you, but I'd rather talk to them, and y'all just listen. Would that be okay? Uh, no, I'm kidding. Um, our students are starting back-to-school, so be praying for them. A lot of uh, attacks that Satan uses to try to trick them and lure them. Uh, you be praying for for our students and as well our, our college ministries cranking up we lost our college ministry this year and Jimbo Savely's our coordinator for our college ministry and love having them down here down front too um, and if you want more information about that it's on the website it's on our uh, in our worship guide and you can find Jimbo after the service if you want more info on our college ministry this this series is is unique 
maybe is probably the best way to say this because arguably Paul's favorite church. So let's start with this. It, have you ever gotten a letter from a family member? I know that's old school, isn't it? Letter. <laughs> Way back. Uh, or an email or a text or a Facebook message or uh, whatever is not written down. Okay. There's no evidence. It'll disappear one day. Um, when you get that note, what does it stir inside of you? Is it nervousness? Is it excitement? Is it, oh no, what's happened now? What, what is it that stirs in you when you get that note? Could be from your spouse. Could be from your kids. Could be from your, your best friend. What is it that stirs in you? Because everyone responds differently based on the environment you're in. We want to talk at the beginning of this sermon about the environment that this letter is in. From previous sermons uh, that we have had with Life Group Connection, please take the opportunity to dig a little bit deeper, to commit even to reading Philippians. You can read one chapter at a time as we gain momentum of what we're actually trying to do. As a teenager, this is one of the first books I ever read all the way through. A letter, an epistle of Paul. And my youth pastor, who was my, one of my mentors, Mac Hanna, who's now passed away. He said something on a Wednesday night Bible study that intrigued me. And as a 10th grader, I'm sitting there on Wednesday night Bible study and usually acting up and probably not paying attention or, or whatever I was doing. I was in the back acting stupid. And, but something caught my attention. He said, there's a guy who wrote parts of the Bible, a lot of our Bible, who used to gather up Christians and take them to prison in efforts of stopping the momentum of the gospel. That guy wrote the epistles in our Bible today. In some accounts, even a murderer, he killed some of those believers in Christ. And so, I was like, okay, wait, what? Th this is not exactly what I was thinking about Scripture. So my antennas went up. In that, I also realized that there are um, people in Scripture that live in sin. And so it, it's not just about the sin, it's about the Jesus that pulls us from the sin. So my, as my antenna's going up, all these things are colliding in my mind about how does that fit into a book of the Bible. Now I realize that most of us 
have not had a Damascus Road experience. If not, maybe anyone has had a Damascus Road experience. But in this case, Paul, who used to be Saul, was knocked off his feet or a horse, was spoken to by God in an audible voice. People that were there heard the voice but could not see anything. In that process, God blinded him and through that, he could not see for three days. God told him to go to the city and wait there until I tell you what to do. From the bright light all the way to the city, God spoke to Ananias in this process through a dream. Three days later, like God said, this Ananias would come to him, lay hands on him, and he would see for the first time in three days. God spoke to him and said, why are you against me? Everything you're doing is against me. Why, some translations actually say, persecute me. Now, I know that everyone hasn't had that experience. I, I certainly have not. But one thing scripture teaches in this process, I don't want to overblow the conversion process because our conversion process, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, is just as redeemed as the most amazing testimony that you can possibly come up with. The redemption of Jesus Christ in asking him to come into your life, the conversion of every person is just as powerful as Paul's, then Saul. Sealed by faith. So what he used to be is not who he is when he's writing this book. Because God came down and changed his life as he's done with many of us in this room today. God breathed into that guy much of the New Testament. And as a part of that was a great letter, almost like to your best friend. That's how it reads. <clears throat> and the intriguing part for a teenager to sit down and read that book all the way through in one setting was all the times it said joy. 16 times it uses the word joy. And so I obviously thought of Paul as a very special man, special authority by God. So as we break today, <clears throat> turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. And I'm going to kind of set this up a little bit uh, with a map. And the map is going to be... Uh, kind of Paul's Paul's region of first, second, and third, and later, not a fourth, but probably more of a, he got lost in a ship. But um, this is the region. You have over here, can y'all see that? See Jerusalem over here on the bottom right. 
He's from the church in Antioch. His first missionary journey was across Asia Minor, southern part. He comes back. He tells all the people in Antioch about all the amazing things that are happening. He goes back out on the second missionary journey. We don't know a whole lot of specifics. We do know that the scripture teaches us in Acts that there are uh, obstacles that the Holy Spirit is keeping them from doing the things that he wants done in, or he thinks he wants done, Paul does, in Asia Minor. So he ends up over in Troas, which is about right here, and he goes across after a dream into Macedonia. Remember, he's wanting to preach to the Jews and the Gentiles, and this whole area was full of Jewish communities. So he's going across here from Troas into Philippi, and this is in Macedonia. We believe that he was in Philippi, and in Acts, it's recorded where uh, a lady, they're actually going to Philippi and find a group of ladies who are praying. Lydia is one of them, who is converted. She was a deal, dealer of purple, which is like the fashion industry, the fashion world. But she was not of that world, and she was not of the gods. She doesn't, she doesn't worship other, other gods. She worships Yahweh. So she learns about Jesus from Paul. Paul and Silas are the ones going across here. If I could have that map back up again. This is on the second missionary journey. He plants a church in Philippi and goes back all the way across Asia Minor over back into Antioch and starts telling them of all the things that was not able to happen and starts a third missionary journey back into this area. Um, and the first, second, and third missionary journeys, they're marked up here, Colossians, Ephesians, Corinth, the first Corinthians, second Corinthians, Two, two different letters, uh, Thessalonians and Th Thessalonica. And the fourth, which is maybe just a, sh he got lost on a ship. He decided to go across water, across this bottom part, all the way across, and ended up going across into Rome. Now, a couple of things I want to mention. Philippi is a very strategic city. Philippi is... Uh, a city that was Roman colony. It was Roman citizenship. It wasn't just a Macedonian city. It was a city of Rome. Rome had this area pretty much cordoned off because of a very important, right here on this little peninsula, which is called Istanbul today, that is a trail that goes all the way across Macedonia and connects to Rome. So Rome has Philippi as a Roman city for that very reason to protect what was happening on that trail. So the people of Philippi had a very special uh, protection on them as a Roman citizen, although they were also Macedonians. And the reason why that's important is because in this first part of the chapter, he's talking about who's Lord and who's king and who's, who, who is not. 
this was, this Philippi was actually formed by Caesar Augustus and uh, probably about 80 years or so before Paul came to that area. So I think, I think we've covered enough. That the, the area is um, part of Greece a little bit, a part of Asia Minor, a part of the Macedonia, the Italy, um, and where a lot of strife is happening even today. So that's just kind of a little bit of a background of, of what is happening in, in that area. Paul and Silas planted that church on their second missionary journey. And uh, we find out a lot about that that I won't go into today. If you want to, you can read it in Acts chapter 16. That's also where I mentioned Lydia's conversion is. That's where they freed the young girl from demon possession. That's where the, uh, Paul and Silas were in the jail. They were jailed. The earthquake shook. Everything fell. They remained, Paul and Silas and other prisoners. The jailer was saved and his family. That was when they left and stayed with Lydia, of which they founded the church in the house of Lydia. The first European church founded by Paul. A Philippian church that was very strong in the support of Paul's journeys after he left Philippi. They gave over and over again. They aided his ministry. They sent supplies when he was in prison. Um, they gave beyond their, their ability. The letter that we're talking about here in Philippians was written from prison. So the, the, the letter is about what's happening in present day prison. It's amazing how the word joy is found so much in retrospect of being a letter from prison. It almost reads, as I mentioned earlier, kind of like a, <clears throat> a letter from your favorite uncle, a letter from your favorite, your best friend, speaking so highly of you. It's an encouragement walk. So why study Philippians? For the obvious, because it's incredibly intriguing, arguably Paul's favorite church, but this book is set up as a letter, an epistle of Paul, not for correction. Most of his letters had to correct problems in the church, the church in Corinth, the church in Ephesians, in Ephesus. Ephesians, a lot of, there's a lot of correction, a lot of behavior modification about what God would want them to do. Philippians doesn't have that. Philippians is about what God can do when a church comes together united in Jesus Christ, to have the mind of Christ. That's what this book, among other things, I believe is for. So let's stand together for the reading of God's word. One through 11 is what I wanna read. Um, Philippians chapter one through 11. 
Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who were in Philippi, including the overseers, uh, elders, and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying for, with joy for all of you in every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you because I have, in you, I have you in my heart and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense of confirmation of the gospel. Verse eight, for God is my witness how deeply I miss each of you. With the affection of Christ Jesus, a powerful part of this book. And I pray this, that in your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and may prove and may, may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Lord, I pray that you'll take the reading of your word, press it in our hearts and our minds, that we may be blameless before you understanding the words of Paul and not worshiping Paul. We're worshiping Jesus today through what Paul taught us. Fortune, you're in it, we pray. Amen. You can be seated. There's three major parts of this first 11 verse we'll call the greeting the opening to the book. Paul takes many opportunities to talk in all the other books about why he's writing the letter. And most of them, he's talking about the things that were trying to get corrected. In this book, he's talking about what is on his mind. First, it's the identity who are you? It's hard to know where you're going if you don't know who you are. It's hard to know what you're going to do if you don't know who you are. In the first verse, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> The Philippian church was Paul's favorite, I think. And that's why I say arguably, because um, I'd love to talk to you about that if you feel any different. But um, because of the nature of this book and how he talks to them, I mean, he doesn't start the book as, you know, um, this letter to my people. You know, he, he didn't say that. 
He didn't say to my favorite people, to my peeps, you know, whatever. He he didn't say that. What, What he said was to the saints of Christ Jesus. It's how he saw them. He starts with Christ Jesus. And it means in that scripture that they were intentionally living a life for Jesus. They were intentionally trying to live out what Jesus taught. And they understood that through Paul. Another marker that in this greeting is at the tail end of Lord Jesus Christ. This was the formal greeting that separated the Romans and the Macedonians from the Christians because the Romans and the Macedonians would, would have said, Caesar is Lord. The Christians said, Jesus is Lord. Caesar was the king. Caesar is my king. My Lord is Jesus. Last week, Daniel talked about who do you say that I am? Understanding who you are in not just a salutation, but when you're talking, when you get up in the morning, when you arrive at work, when you go to school, who are you? Who do you say that I am? What do others see in me and who do I think I am? It's the identity that we carry day to day, moment by moment. Paul shared his identity of how he sees himself by saying, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Now, he could have said, you know me, Paul. I'm the great church planter. He didn't say that. I'm Paul. God spoke to me with a very bright light on a trail and changed my life in an instant. He didn't say that either. His humble identification and identity is a great reminder to us to be servants of Jesus. The Bible even says that in, in this, in a step further idea, that when we boast, that we're not to boast on ourselves, but when we boast, we boast on the Lord. It's the understanding of who we're identified with and who is our identity. Where is your identity today? Is it in your stuff? Is it in your relationships? Is it in your politics? Is it in your your health? Your status? Our identity only needs to be in Jesus Christ. The understanding of who we are puts us, if, if Jesus is our Lord, then our identity is in that and nothing else because nothing else can stack up. Nothing else can be worthy of it. What other people think of me is not worthy of me worrying about because I am in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's simple to say, isn't it? (laughs) Simple to talk about. Incredibly hard to live out. Your identity. Number two, partnership. Partnership, are you building community? In verses three through six, 
he talks about giving thanks to God for the remembrance of each one of them and the partnership of the gospel that he recognizes. That I give thanks to you because of that partnership. From day one, Paul loved these people. He desired fellowship with them. I use the word fellowship in meaning uh, that we have something in common. There's something in common between us. Paul's time in Philippi started, I mentioned earlier about, uh, that we learned in, in Acts chapter 16, understanding the opportunities that were presented to Paul and Silas, some were bad, some were good, but whatever they took it in stride and moved it forward for the gospel's sake. And in that region was about in the house of Lydia where this church started. From the first day until now, the faith, the support, the clear love that each of them had for Jesus was an incredible part of what Paul talks about in this letter. And I would think he's in prison and I would think as he's writing all this, he begins to think through fondly of what is happening in Philippi in that church and what they're trying to do. Remember, I said earlier, they were giving above their means, beyond what they're capable of doing. They would send supplies to prison. They would aid in the ministry of all the things that he was doing. Even though he would go back to the church in Antioch, the church in Philippi is helping aid all the first, second, and third missionary journeys as he's planting churches all over this whole region. So there's been a continual connection of Paul to them. This letter's probably written about a, maybe 10 years since he's been in Philippi. That's a long time. But he is always in constant contact with him. We also learned that there was somebody that went from a man went from the church in Philippi to aid some of the things he was trying to do in Rome and nearly died for doing that. But that church was that kind of support mechanism for Paul. He had a gratitude. Gratitude for them, gratitude for the Lord. Gratitude of them when he thought of them for the Lord for allowing him to be a part of this. The same would be in confidence, that he had a confidence for the people that he was writing to and a confidence of the Lord in his life and allowing him to be a part of what God was doing. Remember, from prison. The partnership that Paul experiences led more than just many people working together it was for the movement of the gospel. In verses seven and eight, it's because I have you in my heart and we're partners in grace. With those two things together, the opportunity uh, for partnership, you know, even we try to, we don't call our membership process, we don't call it members, <clears throat> excuse me. We call it ministry partners. And this is, it's modeled a little bit after this right here because the idea is that there's a partnership for the gospel. It's not what I get out of it, it's what I give to it. 
it's not a membership of dues, it's a ministry of the gospel. That's what Paul was talking about to the church in Philippi. And then in verse eight, how deeply I miss each of you with the infection of Jesus Christ. Don't we all want this level of relationship with people? If you don't, maybe there's a fear of intimacy or a fear of getting close to someone. But at the core, we all long for a relationship this deep. This all-knowing from, you know, like they're not together for years and they get together and it's like they were best friends from day one. They just pick right up where they left off like we could today. Do you have anybody in your life like that? Anybody that you see maybe a year later and you pick right up where you left off. Nothing's, there's no time between it. We're connected at the hip spiritually. We long for that. Paul thought of this church that way. That we have spirit and purpose. And later in chapter two, which will be coming in a couple of weeks, that we're like-minded with spirit and purpose that we, we look after each other, not, out, not on my own. I don't look out for my own needs. I look out for the needs of others. It's the idea that Paul is looking at the church of partnership. And he knew that they were looking out for him before they looked out for themselves for the further of the gospel. We need people to walk through life with people we can count on through life's ups and downs, people that walk beside us, genuine relationships. Our prayer always is that we can find that. Each one of you, each one of us can find this level of relationship. It's called biblical community. If you're taking notes, write that down in all caps. Biblical community. It happens when we're serving together. When we do life together. When we confess our sins to each other to protect the gospel and the furtherance of what's happening with the gospel around us. It's God working through us and to us. Biblical community. Experiencing life change together. Pushes people together. If we're not experiencing this kind of biblical community, it's usually because we're trying to do things on our own. Hear, hear me with this. If you don't experience it, it, the fear thing can be worked through. And I, I would love to talk to you more about that in the future. But if fear of the relationship I'm describing, if it causes fear in your life, then let's talk about it. But most people don't have that fear. What they're having a problem with is they're living life on their own. We all have that nature. I have that nature. You have that nature. That we want to do it our way. And if you don't experience what we're talking about in biblical community, many times it's because we're trying to do life on our own. 
We don't have God in the plan. All we're doing is asking for God to bless the plan we have. We're not understanding what God is doing in our life. Let me ask you a question. Is your community that you're building, your community of people, is it a distraction in your life? If you're not careful, the community of people that you build around you distract you from being who God wants you to be because you're misunderstanding what God is trying to do in your life and you can start building community outside of what God is trying to do with you and sometimes that very community leads us into sin because we're not understanding what biblical community is. It's the heartbeat of believers who watch out for me and I watch out for them and we protect each other. It can happen so easily because we don't understand what transforming our mind is. We get caught in every whirlwind, seeds of destruction. We wander into sin with this community group because we don't know, we don't know what's protect. I'm not protecting them, they're not protecting me. We end up with something that we don't even want to start with. But we end up with something. It can be a girls group on Friday night. It can be a guys group on a weekend. It could be reading news on the internet. And that little box pops up on the, bo on the right side and it says, what does Rocky look like now? We click it because we have to know what Sylvester Stallone looks like today. And so we're reading. On the, on the right-hand side of that page is another little page, another little advertisement that says, stars from the 80s, what do they look like now? Click. I'm and that progression goes on and on and on, and, and we don't even think through the seed of destruction of what's beginning to happen. It can happen in our community group of where we go. A community of believers that don't understand what that is or a community of non-believers even worse because we're not watching out for each other. A, a community of non-believers is a party group because the goal is not to lift Christ up. The goal would be for destruction, the seeds of sin. And it's hard to understand in the life of someone who has the mind of Christ that we would chase after the temporary. But that can happen. Maybe, and I've mentioned a bunch, it, it can be Pinterest. Pinterest leads to, uh, I need these things, so I, next thing I know, I'm not even thinking about it. I'm on Amazon I didn't go through uh, financial peace and I, I don't have my budget and I'm just blowing money because I got to have that planter. Honey, I've got to have that bench. It's got a planter on the end of it. I mean, 
and or or even worse, more expensive stuff. I'm on Amazon buying stuff. I don't even I don't even think about what I'm doing. Anyway, the mind of Christ. Paul looked at this church of Philippi. They had the mind of Christ and they protected each other. They looked after each other, not in vain conceit of myself, but each other. The partnership. Number three, the dependency. Dependency. Do you depend on people or God? Dependency, people or God. These last few verses in 9 through 11, he talks about, I pray this, that your love will keep growing in knowledge of every discernment, that you may approve these things that are superior and may be pure and blameless to the day of Christ Jesus. And then he didn't quit. He kept going, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now we can take away a lot that Paul penned in this part of his opening. Paul loved these people. But as he's writing them, he obviously has something that is an he he's not overly confident. He's interdependent on Christ Jesus. He's not the guy who, he, he doesn't feel like he's the guy who can roll up and just start talking about Jesus and all these supernatural things start happening. You get the picture as you read this, if it's not about God, he doesn't want anything to do with it. There's nothing he wants if it's not to be a part of what God is doing. You also get the feeling that Paul prayed more to God about the Philippians. He talked more to God about the Philippians than he did to the Philippians about God. Let me say that again. He talked to God about the Philippians more than he talked to the Philippians about God. A side note, we can all take heed to this how many times kids we're, we're preaching at them about God our friends we're preaching at them about God and we're not talking to God at all about our friends we're not talking to God at all about our kids if talking to our kids about God would fix it it would already be fixed but God can change the heart of anyone at any time how much are you talking to God how much are you spending time praying? Paul spent an enormous amount of time praying. His example in this Philippian church is demonstrated by being fully devoted, fully devoted and dependent on what God is doing in his life and ministry and in the life of the church in Philippi. He's talking to them in verse 9 about three things. Love, light, and life. These three things he talks about over and over again throughout this book. And this is the setup for it of what's happening in the life of Paul. To the Philippian church, he wants them to have an investment 
and continue that investment in the ministry of them praying for him in prison that they become the strongest support of the gospel because of his strategic location we we talked about earlier the church in Philippi and what's happening in the Roman Empire that we grow constantly and mature in our faith like they did in closing I want you to ponder on a question how dependent are you on God God wore me out in this in this message for for several reasons I'll talk about one here in just a minute but this one how dependent on you on God are you like am I dependent on what I can think up and dream up and plan up and pray to God bless or am I dependent on God for everything that's happening around me and that plays out differently in every body every person it plays out in a different way the dependency on the Lord in verses 9 and 10 it says I pray like this that your love it, it's the understanding of our relationship that's so strong and intimate and he still is saying to them please bathe me in prayer beg God to do the things that he wants to do through me that's what Paul's writing about I, I actually I actually just <clears throat> I made a commitment when I was in seminary and you may have picked up on this or you may not have but um, I've never said this publicly when, when I sign my letters my notes my emails whatever y'all want to talk call them Facebook messages when, when I when I write those I put at the end of it joy Lynn Taylor there's a reason for that it's because I made a commitment as a teenager that I was going to live a joyful life that I was going to be a part of being joyous my dad actually wrote a book and dedicated it to me called being joyous being joyous is an incredible difficult thing to do because everybody tries to steal your joy Satan is using whatever he can to destroy you and that joy that we're seeking striving to understand and see and be what God wants us to live by Paul talked about it 16 times I mentioned that earlier when he is talking and thinking about what is happening in the church of Philippi, he thinks of joy. And remember, he's in prison in Rome. And he was put to death there by beheading because that's how the Roman Empire put people to death. They didn't put them on a cross, they beheaded them. He counted it all joy. And even in chapter 2, says almost the same thing again, to be united in Christ understanding the unity of the body of believers when the joy comes out joy is contagious when the joy comes out we live differently we think differently my prayer for us 
is that we understand what the mind of Christ is, that we live in the Spirit, capital S, that we live in the Spirit by the transforming of our mind, of what God is doing through you. It might not be the same thing as the person next to you, but I believe God tells you exactly what that is. May we be bold enough to live that out.